0: Hello, listener. Um,
1: Yes, I do Friday 15 because I love talking to people and I love music. But did you know you could advertise your product or service on this show? Um, Friday 15 is part of the Agora podcast network, and they specialize in producing intelligent, independent podcasts. Cumulatively, the network has just under 1 million downloads a month so that's a lot of downloads um you can contact us if you've got a product or a service you would like to hawk by going on to their website which is the agora podcast Network.com. plug over
2: this podcast is a royfield brown production find others on itunes all right yeah know no.
1: In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. Today we speak to author Nathaniel Popkin about his book Philadelphia, Finding the Hidden City. MFSB, officially standing for Mother, Father, Brother, Sister, was a pool of more than 30 studio musicians based in Philadelphia's famed Sigma Sound Studios. Mysteries of the World was a track taken from their last album in 1980 called, funnily enough, Mysteries of the World. Philadelphia really a forgotten city or is it a hidden city
0: Oh those are com- complicated labels um, All right well I'll tell you what where we can
1: start then Let's start here is it always sunny in Philadelphia
0: Oh it, it is absolutely always uh, sunny in Philadelphia uh, and, and that's the amazing thing that people don't realize <laughs> uh, you, it, It's really an interesting question I mean you asked um, is, is Philadelphia a hidden city? Or is it a forgotten city? And those two things are intertwined. Um, Philadelphia was the leading um, English-speaking city of North America for at least 100 years, if not longer. Uh, And so was integral to the British Empire and integral to um, really the political economy of the world for a long time. All the way until at least 1925 – and certainly until the Depression, uh, when when Philadelphia sort of lost its standing as an economic force in the United States and therefore the world.
1: Okay, so w- why did that happen to Philadelphia and let's say not to New York?
0: Yeah, I mean that's a long story, but you know I often ask why why are the cities so different? They developed almost in parallel, uh, but yet their form their form is so different history is so different culture of the place is so different and frankly to have two places that are a hundred miles apart from each other it's really uh, gratifying that they are so different because diversity is so important but Philadelphia is falling off the plate in the early part of the 19th century Philadelphia lost out as being had already lost out as being the national capital of the United States it had lost out on being the state capital Pennsylvania and then it lost out on being the financial capital of the United States when the central bank was closed was was forced to shut down the central bank that was located here the second bank of the United States It was forced to close in really a political war that's very reminiscent of today between the Trump like Andrew Jackson and the very liberal minded but elitist Nicholas Biddle who was the president of the bank Biddle took a risk, a political risk, forced Jackson's hand and Jackson destroyed the bank. And from that point on, Philadelphia was no longer the financial capital of the United States.
1: No, so we're talking about the 1830s then, aren't we, in the uh, tenure of of Andrew Jackson. But the city does grow, and really that's the heart of your book, isn't it? That really it's this Victorian city, it's this beautiful city of which had great patrons. So um, move us on to kind of that bit of
0: the story. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, seeking to reinvent itself and being a place of invention going all the way back to Benjamin Franklin and others, Philadelphia uses its deep knowledge and its educational institutions and its inventive capacity to become a place of technology, capital tied to technology that was able to develop all kinds of technological innovations in machinery and things like photography and film, uh, in publishing, uh, that really pushed it forward into an extraordinary and not at all hidden uh, Gilded Age uh, from the mid 19th century all the way into until the Depression and what we had here was probably one of the wealthiest places in the world you know something on the level of Manchester that was exploding with producing and that created great amount of wealth it created enormous um, Gilded Age buildings of all different kinds you know churches opera houses factories infrastructure for railroads. Uh, Philadelphia ha- was the home to two of the largest American railroads, the Pennsylvania and the Reading. And so what we a- end up with at the turn of the 20th century is a, si- a muscular city, and but a city that would very quickly decline starting with the Depression in the 1930s, and it would lose its edge, so much so that that massive 19th century city that was built up really from over a century, went into disuse. Uh, it slowly fell apart. It slowly withered away. And so much so that it was then easy, say around 1950, to begin to label the city as the colonial city, the charming federal city. And that was something else.
1: I'm going to drag you back to you talking about the fact that the city had was at the confluence of two kind of great railroads. So it was it's in in an interesting place and we kind of hinted at this before uh, at least I did with my question, question saying, is it forgotten or hidden? You know, that Philadelphia suffers from being um, a little bit too close to New York and a little bit too close to Washington, D.C. So in the kind of the national consciousness of America, Philadelphia does get a little bit forgotten. But thinking about the position of the city, how has race kind of impacted on it? Because obviously it's not too far from that Mason-Dixon line. So tell us how race, how that's
0: actually shaped uh, the modern Philadelphia. Well, Philadelphia was the, great, the first great black city of North America, uh, bar none. It had the, the largest, wealthiest, uh, most dynamic African-American, uh, free African-American population of anywhere in the Americas. And that identity as a black city really exploded uh, at the beginning of the 20th century with the, with the great migration of people coming from the south. In that sense, um, Philadelphia has deeply, always deeply, been characterized at, as a very particular kind of African American city. It has produced some of the great, greatest, some of the greatest civil rights leaders, particularly of the 19th century. Uh, some of the the greatest innovators in architecture and art and food, even. And and so this rich culture, however, that it existed quite vitally and quite vibrantly also became itself a kind of hidden layer uh, within the city. And so if you look through the histories that are told of Philadelphia all the way into into the second half of the 20th century, they're almost never mentioned the richness of black life in the city. And for us, we see that as one of the layers of the hidden city that has accreted over time, that has built up over time as people have come in and taken a city that they inherited and turned into something that they wanted that's often what would happen with black migrants coming up from the south
1: talking about black culture and the impact it's made on philadelphia john coltrane is a famous son of the city you've decided this week for your piece of music to be john coltrane seminal a love supreme and um, why exactly did you choose that piece of music
0: I chose it for a few reasons. One, I thought it would be symbolically interesting. Uh, for one, when we talk about the city, which is often a difficult place, where, you know, a place of suffering, a place of beauty. And, and that kind of contradictory and complicated sense of any city is apparent in the work of someone like John Coltrane. He came here as a teenager in the middle of the 20th century. Of course, uh, he endures enormous racial prejudice, racism at all levels of life in the city. And out of that comes a transcendent music. And so I thought that that was symbolic of what the city is capable of. It's capable of punishing you, and it's also capable of giving you the raw material for beauty, for extraordinary deliverance. And that's what a love supreme is for me. Here we have a city that is so productive of culture, and it produces some of the most extraordinary music and art of anywhere in the world.
1: Daniel, I almost thought that for your piece of music, you're going to pick something from the early 70s, that kind of classic uh, time
0: of of the Philly sound. Uh, Why didn't you opt for something of that era? Why didn't I? Oh, it was just a split-second decision. You don't like flares,
1: bell-bottom trousers?
0: No, no. I mean, that's the music I grew up with, right? Uh, So it's really Uh important to me. But another way, the music of Coltrane is personally more important to me, and that's why I chose it. The music particularly of that album, A Love Supreme, with its almost seductive prelude that really draws you into a narrative, in a sense that music can be narrative, and not in an obvious way through through lyricism. That music was a kind of background for me as I came to know the city in the late 1980s. And so I, I personally identify with it, and found it was a way for me to enter into a knowledge and an experience of the city. Though it was a hard choice because I love the Philly sound too.
1: Okay. Um, you, your book talks about ruins. Um, give us some examples of this kind of breathing decay. You say it's living ruins. So this isn't necessarily a negative, but you know, let's breathe some life into this breathing decay.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we think of uh, ruins in a traditional sense as something from the Mediterranean or... And And the Roman
1: catacombs I like some of the great pictures that you have of the the sewers and whatever really rhyme with those kind of Roman catacombs. That's a really good example.
0: And and that's right. So we think of ruins as these kind of dead places um, that are just stones. And we have ruins like that, too, in urban America. Uh, We have old movie houses. Uh, We have old factories and power stations that when you enter into them, into their emptiness, into their cold, dank, and wet feeling, often there is even flora growing. You do get this kind of strange connection to time, and, and you're sort of taken out of your regular life, that you're interrupted. And, and there is something really remarkable for that mostly urban explorers experience when they break into spaces like that. In Philadelphia, we have an extraordinary range of ruins like that that are enormous and very close at hand just because of the form the city took throughout the 19th century. But we tend to think of ruins, and we explain this in the book, a little bit differently because those ruins, even those ones that are in essence empty and vacant and abandoned, are also places that are the raw material of the city that might be. I like to think of the city in the present tense as a city that is in tension with its past and confronting that past in physical and non-physical ways, but also the city that's confronting its future, the city that might be, what I called in another book, the possible city. I'm sitting right now in a house that was built a 100 years ago for an Italian immigrant family that had a grocery store downstairs. I'm in essence living in the ruins of their world that they built, and they built this house, this building that I'm in, to look like a representation of Southern Italy, actually. So they brought their notion of what the city could be. They built it, and then they went, generations went by, and and eventually over time, other people came to take over and occupy that space, and those people wanted. to take that and do what they want with it so make it into the city of 2017 and so that process is the process of living in ruins of of taking the space and adapting it for what you want but it's not just you know physical spaces it's also economic systems or social systems or religious systems that exist and we think of those as living ruins because we don't just appear on earth in the present. We appear on Earth into a place that has been long inhabited by other people, and they put their hopes and dreams into that place. They build it in the way, in, according to their notions about it.
1: Before we finish up, sir, I have to say to you a um, very simple question, what's your favorite part of the city and why?
0: Oh, that's not what I'm prepared for. You know, I'm not sure I have a favorite part of the city. But I will say this, uh, I've been thinking about and writing about, uh, this is my fourth book uh, that explores Philadelphia in different ways. Uh, I've been thinking about this place for a long time. I've written a 14 part historical documentary about the city. Uh, so this is a really important investigation that's about urban form, but also about literature for me. What's extraordinary is that I'm still learning it, and I'm still getting a sense of what the place is like. In this book, we talk about the work of uh, Frank Taylor, who was an artist working in the late 19th century all the way until about 1920. And he, he painted lithographs and watercolors that were extraordinary compositions of the city of that time. And discovering that work that he did 100 years ago has given me new insight into the city that I see today. And so now I've started to see Frank Taylor's city, when I walk around, I see the materials, the color palette, the architectural forms, the way these, these compositions come before my eye. And for that, I'm grateful uh, that each you know, few years that goes by, I discover something new, some new truth about the place, and my exploration goes deeper and deeper.
1: Nathaniel Popkin, thank you for coming on to Friday 15. The book is called Philadelphia, Finding the Hidden City. It's a journey to the essence of one of America's greatest and yet least discovered city. The book reveals and the physical and cultural intricacies of the place, from the intimate to the monumental.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: No worries. I presume it's
0: available from all good bookshops. It's available wherever books are sold.
1: Breathe is the title of the debut single by the French dance music group Telepop Music. It features guest vocals by Angela McCluskey, whose vocal sounds somewhat detached from the throbbing electronica around it. Produced by Kanye West and containing samples by Nina Simone is always advisable. Get By was released in 2003 by the American hip-hop recording artist Talib Kweli.
3: Yeah,
2: we we smell the musk of the dusk and the crack of the dawn. We go through episodes too, like Attack of the Clones. What till we break a back and you hear the crack of the bone again? Just to get by, just to get by, just to get by. We commute to computers, spirits stay mute while your ego spread rumors. We survivalists, turn to consumers. Just to get by, just to get by, just to get by, just to get by. You ask why some people gotta live in the trailer? Cause like a sailor, I paint a picture with a pen like Norman Mailer. Me, and well-raised three daughters all by herself with no think about the struggle and I find the strength of myself. These words melt in my mouth. They hot like the jail cell in the south before my nigga core bailed me out. just to get by, just to get by, just to get by, just to get by. Do it die like best stars. See the red skies. The window of the red island. The lead blouse. The G-Rap shit. living the lead die boy. in the system, the blacks and latins in prison, numbers in prison, they victim black in the vision, shit, and know they got is rapping to listen to, I'll let them know we missing you, The love is unconditional, even when the condition is critical, when the living is miserable, your position is pivotal, I ain't bullshitting you now, why would I lie just to get
1: Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Don't forget, you can follow the show's progress on Facebook by simply typing in Friday 15. You can also find us on Twitter, where you can follow me, where I'm at Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. Now, every Thursday, you can jump onto Twitter and tweet me and nominate a song for me to put into this week's Friday 15. iTunes reviews, folks, are extremely important. They're the lifeblood of any podcast. Please go onto iTunes and write us a, a glowing review. And don't forget, finally, you can email me from spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D, at gmail.com. See you all again in seven days' time for more good music and great conversation.